You're listening to Trouble with the Truth, a podcast about journalists in danger and the stories that get them in trouble. I'm your host, Lana Istimirova. As we count down the days until 2021, many of us will naturally look back and try to make sense of this disastrous year. While the news of the vaccine brings hope, millions of people will be affected by the economic fallout from the pandemic, and the vaccine distribution once again reveals the underlying inequality between different countries and continents. For my podcast, I look specifically at the state of press freedom across the world, and as you may have gathered from previous episodes, 2020 has been one of the toughest years for independent journalism. And, of course, the pandemic was only one of the factors. According to Reporters Without Borders, 50 journalists were killed this year for doing their job. 387 journalists are currently imprisoned in connection with their work. In China, Zhang Zhan, who reported on the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan, was jailed for four years. In Turkey, the government continues its onslaught on free media, imprisoning and terrorizing independent journalists. Just the other day, journalist and writer Khan Dundar was sentenced in absentia to 27 years in prison. If I were to list every example, it would take me hours, if not days. But the most shocking case that really stayed with me is the fate of Irina Slavina from Russia. On 2nd of October, the journalist set herself on fire, leaving a Facebook post that said, I ask you to blame the Russian Federation for my death. Friends say she was being persecuted by security officials for her work. The day before her death, Irina's house was searched by police in the latest act of campaign of incessant intimidation and harassment. Her death was an act of desperation that was brushed off by government officials. When hearing of horrible news like this, it's easy to feel hopeless and frustrated. But time and time again, journalists and activists from all over the world turn anger and despair into action, despite all the threats they receive. And I hope that my podcast helps to make a small contribution by enlightening our listeners on how dangerous the search for the truth can be and how much those who work to reveal it deserve our attention. The Justice for Journalists Foundation that supports this podcast is working behind the scenes to support investigative journalists and document the attacks that they face. We're only a small NGO with a tiny team, but we really believe in our mission, working tirelessly to empower and protect journalists. So, in the final episode of the year, with the help of our director Maria Arjanikidze, I would like to unpack what Justice for Journalists is about and how it's helping to make a difference. Since we're heading towards the end of this surreal and difficult year, I thought it would be a good idea to look back in more detail and talk about what it was like for independent journalism. According to the Justice for Journalists Foundation data, the number of attacks in 2020 in 12 post-Soviet countries, excluding the Baltic states, doubled. There were 3,862 attacks this year. It's an astonishing number. So here's the big question. 
why did the number of attacks increase so rapidly? What were the factors that contributed to it? And uh, were there any standout cases that were particularly memorable for you? Yes, uh, it was a terrible year indeed. As we know, pandemic of coronavirus uh, killed a million, more than a million of people. But uh, the hidden impact of that pandemic is that uh, the basically the attention of the world's public has switched completely towards what is going on with the pandemic. And the rest of the issues, and there are num- numerous issues, obviously, as they, they've never went away, they are completely ignored. And one of those issues uh, is, of course, freedom of speech and safety of journalists. Uh, as for the freedom of speech, it suffered tremendously over uh, the last 10 months uh, after certain regulations or in all the countries, there were certain regulations introduced to curb the information spreading and in the name of fighting fake news. And in uh, the former Soviet Union countries, of course, some of the regimes are still quite uh, tyrannical and naturally dictatorships. And they used uh, the pretext of pandemics to either completely uh, shut down the independent voices or um, end or attack journalists um, openly, uh, independent journalists openly to... uh, silence them to prevent any independent information uh, reaching the public rather than the information that the governments themselves are prepared to release or want to release. Uh, Of course, that was done in the name of the uh, fighting against fake news, uh, against panic. But uh, unfortunately, in many of these countries, uh, the situation is uh, that the uh, main perpetrator of spreading the fake news uh, is the government itself, whereas the independent voices are the ones who are trying to uncover and release uh, the truth. So, if we look at uh, the uh, at what, what was happening in the um, former post-Soviet Union space, uh, the first um, country that comes to mind is obviously Belarus, where after the um, rigged elections, uh, presidential elections in August uh, 2020, the people took to street and they're still there. And of course, uh, a lot of journalists uh, are, uh, independent journalists are covering uh, the story uh, every day. And that includes uh, citizen journalists, um, as well as the professional journalists. And if we look at um, at, at Belarus uh, after August there were uh, more than uh, 211 journalists arrested and more than uh, 302 detained. Uh, when, when I say more than, uh, it means that uh, as we speak, the statistics is, uh, is still uh, being updated and uh, the number is increasing every day. Uh, at least eight journalists are still in prison. Uh, if we look at uh, the rest of the post-Soviet space, uh, we can see, we can probably speak about Ukraine, where um, which is known for uh, for physical attacks against journalists. So the journalists are more frequently beaten up in this country than in any of the other post-Soviet uh, countries. And of course, uh, during the COVID uh, quarantine measures and and um, the rest of the measures that were taken, uh, the journalists were trying to to cover what was going on with businesses, with uh, various uh, medical institutions, etc. And as a result, uh, we have recorded 76 incidents of beatings of journalists and uh, about 40 incidents when the professional equipment of journalists was forcefully seized uh, from the media workers and damaged. That's, that's quite violent, but uh, not unusually violent for this country, unfortunately. 
Uh, as for um, Russia, there were, of course, the, the, the number of attacks was uh, as well uh, increasing, uh, and uh, we have uh, recorded uh, the astonishing number of arrests and detentions as well. Currently, as everybody knows, uh, Ivan Safronov, uh, former commerçant journalist, is uh, still being kept uh, in prison, and this, is, this has been happening for more than six months now, and his prison term is extended until uh, March the 7th. There, there, there were many cases, uh, both Russia and uh, uh, Central uh, Asia, where journalists were prosecuted for violating the rules and regulations related to COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And that included fines, interrogations, administrative and criminal cases, uh, detentions, arrests, and uh, even uh, prison terms. Uh, all of those were the typical uh, methods of suppressing independent reporting on the pandemic. I think that was a great summary, and it's unfortunate that we have to end this year on such a grim note. But Justice for Journalists have done an incredible job of documenting attacks against journalists and creating this database called the Risk Map that points out where exactly the journalists were attacked across the post-Soviet space, what kind of attack it was and what's happening with them at the moment. JFJ doesn't just support journalists from Russian-speaking countries or post-Soviet countries. It has a fantastic support system for investigative journalists from all over the world. I'd like to talk more about the role and mission of the GFJ Fund and some examples of projects that it helped to support over the course of this year. Uh, yes. Um, well, Justice for Journalists Foundation was uh, founded in uh, 2018, in August, uh, following the um, brutal murder uh, of three uh, investigative journalists uh, who traveled to Central African Republic to uncover the uh, dealings of uh, Prigozhin and uh, Wagner Group. Following that crime, that was not uh, properly investigated by uh, any of the, of the authorities, not in Central African Republic, not in Russia. The two uh, founders of, of the foundation decided that they would uh, contribute about $5 million in the course of the next uh, few years to support uh, investigations into violent crimes against uh, journalists. And uh, this is how the, our foundation started. Uh, so we are slightly more than a couple of years old, really. But uh, over the course of these two years, we have managed to support uh, about 30 um, investigations now. And uh, those are, some of them are ongoing, some of them are already finished. Uh, and uh, our grant program runs uh, every year. We um, announce the grant program in January, usually, and then uh, our advisory board uh, makes a decision about uh, who. Uh, have submitted the best proposal and who are going to receive the uh, support of the foundation uh, this year. So uh, we will continue with this grant project program in 2021, although, of course, that was curbed by the um, pandemic and uh, many of investigations that have been started in 2019 uh, and 2020 could not go forward because of the travel restrictions and uh, border controls. Uh, however, uh, a few of them are ongoing and a few of them are successfully completed. We could uh, probably mention 
the book that was um, published by uh, a group of uh, journalists about the uh, who, who investigated the murder of uh, Daphne Caruana Galitza in Malta. The book is called uh, Murder on the Malta Express, and that was uh, presented last year in um, in Malta, and uh, have been. A, a very successful and also uh, contributed to the kind of forced the investigation that was stalling in Malta to to go forward and um, the uh, ongoing um, questioning which is very difficult to to do because of the um, resistance on the side of of the interested parties Uh, but it is still going as we keep the uh, public attention uh, or help keeping public attention glued to this uh, to this uh, awful murder so we we believe that that book as well as as well as the um, work of the shift news which is an independent uh, Maltese um, news outlet and uh, the report by Reporters Without Borders, all of those we believe contributed to um, putting additional pressure into the um, Maltese justice system to continue with the official investigation into that murder, uh, where uh, still at this moment, two and a half years later, uh, nobody uh, was actually properly identified uh, and accused. Uh, So that's one of those investigations that we are quite proud of, uh, as well as uh, we could mention the investigation into the murder of uh, Pavel Shermet in um, Ukraine that is um, also continuing uh, at the moment. And um, that was quite successful, we would say, because it uncovered a new, completely new lead into who might have been uh, behind uh, the audit uh, murder, the audit uh, explo- car explosion that um, ultimately killed Pavel. Um, and that, that is going on, that is being published um, on the website of uh, Zabarona Media. And uh, they, they are continuing that investigation. And I think they are planning to publish the third part of the investigation right before the end of this year. We are also uh, supporting a few NGOs, a few organizations that are exploring how the um, SLAP legislation or strategic litigation against public participation is being abused and used against uh, journalists who are investigating corruption cases and uh, uh, ultimately um, are being threatened by by those who, who they are investigating and the legal firm hired to uh, protect the interests of uh, the uh, officials and businessmen uh, who are hiding uh, their dealings from the independent investigations. That uh, is, um, we're working together with um, Foreign Policy Center, uh, into uh, who who are uh, digging into what is um, happening here in in the UK, especially using the uh, legislation. Uh, this uh, the existing legislation. They recently released a report called "Unsafe for Scrutiny." Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's that's one of the uh, one of the outcomes of that project, and uh, I invite everyone to check uh, out on the on the Foreign Policy Center's website. It's a very interesting report, and there were a few uh, articles, quite a few articles, um, published following that uh, that report. Um, basically, the it shows how the uh, UK legal system uh, is being used for so-called libel tourism, uh, where people uh, would hire 
UK-based legal firms to uh, threaten and uh, intimidate uh, the journalists who are trying to uncover uh, certain information about uh, the questionable business dealings of those um, who are uh, involved in certain corrupt practices. Uh, and these people are usually uh, not UK-based, but are based uh, elsewhere in all sorts of countries. While funding journalist investigations is important, and finances is something that many journalists across the world struggle with, when try to pursue truth and justice, another important job is to equip them with sufficient knowledge that will help them feel safe and protected. And this is where JFJ also excels, because you have something called the Media Safety Academy, which is currently functioning primarily for the Russian-speaking journalists. And I wanted to talk more about it. What is it exactly and how helpful was it for journalists that use the academy? Yes, we have uh, indeed uh, launched uh, the academy uh, that is called in memory of uh, Orhan Jamal Media Safety Academy uh, this year in uh, uh, summer. Uh, and it is currently just... Uh, offering online uh, courses for obvious reasons. The main uh, reason to, to create the academy was to equip Russian-speaking media workers with uh, skills and knowledge that is vital uh, to stand up to their professional risks. Uh, we uh, in the Justice for Journalists Foundations believe that um, it is very important to uh, make journalists aware of all the dangers that um, are awaiting for them while they're working on their investigations or uh, just on a day-to-day activities because the freedom of media is, is being targeted uh, everywhere and especially um, in the non-democratic countries of the former Soviet Union. So we are acutely aware how little uh, the uh, safety and security topic is uh, of interest to the Russian-speaking journalists and we're trying to Uh, make sure that they know that this is important. And we also try to encourage them to go and check out all our courses that we are offering uh, within the online academy. Uh, And among these courses are uh, risk analysis and physical security and cybersecurity, as well as uh, psychological and emotional safety and uh, media risks and legal security. So we think this, um, these areas are of the um, utmost importance to everyone who is um, working in the former Soviet Union and trying to uh, be uh, safe and, and, and efficient. Uh, in addition to the online academy, we're offering the webinars and uh, hopefully once the uh, quarantine restrictions uh, are lifted globally, we will continue with offering our uh, face-to-face seminars that we started uh, back in 2019. Uh, this is uh, being quite a successful project, I would say, as we've uh, since um, inception of, of the Academy in um, uh, July, at the very end of July of uh, 2020, we uh, have already accepted uh, over 120 applicants, which is, I think, quite a significant number, uh, given the overall amount of journalists in these countries. Uh, and uh, we also uh, have uh, uh, conducted a few uh, webinars with with 
different groups of journalists, including from a few groups with, uh, from Central Asia, um, uh, who, who were interested in particular topics and particular um, questions uh, relating to their uh, situation, current situation in, in their countries. So we were uh, able to invite the experts who are specialists in that, those areas and uh, who would, were able to offer their knowledge and expertise to, to the journalists and media workers. I think that despite the fact that it's been quite a challenging year, now that we're almost at the end of it, uh, it's still tempting to look for some hopeful and encouraging stories just to make us feel a little bit better. Our line of work can be a little bit daunting and depressing. Were there any stories that you came across that filled you with hope? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, the whole story of uh, of the resilience, I think, uh, first of all, in Belarus, when we look at this country and seeing all the doom and gloom that is uh, being emitted by the uh, illegal government, and then we see the resistance of this uh, courageous and brave people, uh, including the journalists, who continue to um, to transmit truth to the world and who continue to stand their ground and and fight for the fairness and for the uh, honest system that is uh, looking at people rather than at the corrupt officials. I think that that gives hope, definitely, so resistance and resilience uh, of these people. And I think overall in the world, um, when we look at the... um, world after the pandemic. Uh, I think the the whole story of the journalists continuing to do their work to find ways of um, still writing uh, about the truth, uncovering the illegal dealings of uh, various criminals. I think this this what definitely gives hope as the there is resilience definitely that that is um, that is there and that will continue uh, as it is continuing through the very hard times. It will definitely continue through the lighter times. Uh, and I think the overall the the, the pressure that uh, those um, individual brave people uh, are able to put on their respective governments or criminal organizations um, and the impact of of that that pressure I think that that gives um, all of us hope that uh, the media will continue to play a, a very important role. Uh, especially the independent media will com- continue to play a very spe- special and very important role in uh, bringing the criminals to justice and uh, standing against all of those crimes and all of those dirty dealings that are so widely spread at the moment in, in the world. And in the meantime, the Justice for Journalists team will continue to do everything that's in our power to bring the issues of freedom of press to light and to make sure that the journalists are equipped with the necessary knowledge should they find themselves in trouble. Thank you to everyone who listened to and followed Trouble with the Truth this year. In 2021, we'll continue our work interviewing remarkable journalists. We can't afford to ignore those who bravely continue to expose the abuses and injustices of the powerful, despite the risks involved. By shining a light on their work, each of us helps to place a circle of protection around them. Independent journalists are on the front line of the fight for democracy, for without informed and empowered citizens, 
It's little more than an empty idea.